couple of it. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn in God's holy word to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. We're going to be looking at verses 44 through 46. I've entitled the address, the sermon, What Are Jesus and His Kingdom Worth to You? What are Jesus and His Kingdom worth to you? Would you sell all to have Him? If that were the wager that was presented to you, would you willingly give all to have him? In Matthew 13, Jesus has been instructing the disciples in the school of discipleship as he's been teaching them concerning the kingdom. He's used the simile like, the kingdom of God is like. It is like a man who sowed seed in a field, but while he slept... The enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat. It's also like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field, though it be the smallest of all the seeds. When it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. The kingdom of God is also like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. In all three parables... All three confound the proud and self-righteous, but to the poor and broken in heart, contrite and needy, those who are of faith, they reveal the true nature of the kingdom of God. Well, this evening in the two parables before us, the kingdom of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, Jesus puts his finger on perhaps the greatest hindrance behind all others if we are to be his disciples, that we value other things more than we value Jesus. So the wager is before you. What is Jesus to you? What are his, what is his kingdom worth to you? So let's read the text. It's a very familiar text, one that you've read many times, but uh, let us go before God's holy word, as Bill has reminded us so faithfully from Hebrews 4. It's the living word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is not we who examine the word, but the word That examines us. So let's hear the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went out, sold all that he had, and bought it. Thus far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Let's go before him and ask him to bless our time together. Our Lord and our God, we humble ourselves before your word, and we would pray with David in Psalm 139 that you would search us and try us by your word. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting life. Lord, that we might truly value you and your kingdom above all things. That we, like these two men that we meet, the man working in the field who finds the hidden treasure and the merchant in search of the pearl, that we too would be willing to sell all that we might have you and so might have everything We pray and ask now that you be with us and bless us, bless the words of my mouth, the meditation of our heart, 
Oh, Father, give me the grace and the humility needed to preach such a holy word. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. John Calvin puts it very succinctly about what these two parables are about. I don't think it's too coded. A lot of things are difficult in the Word of God to understand. These two parables are not difficult to understand. Both the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, says Calvin, are intended to instruct the Christian to prefer the kingdom of heaven to the whole world so that nothing may prevent us from obtaining so valuable a possession. In the first parable of the hidden treasure, we're told about a man who by chance finds a treasure hidden in a field. Immediately upon finding the treasure, covers it up and with joy, the joy of Psalm 16, goes at once, sells all that he has so that he might possess the treasure. Jesus enters, introduces rather the second parable with the word again. Do you see that word there? Those two are connected. He's just trying to put a little link there, a conjunction there to connect the first parable with the second. That's why we take them together in a couplet. This time the kingdom of heaven is compared to a merchant who while searching for fine pearls finds one. The one pearl that has evaded him his whole life, the one he has had his heart set on finding, he's now found it. And immediately like the first man, he goes, liquidates all his assets, everything that he has, every single thing. All other pearls, all other gems, all other diamonds, all other rubies, all other gold is sold that he might have this one pearl, this pearl of great price. Well, there are two observations I want us to make this evening very quickly. First, I want us to notice the diversity of the citizens of the kingdom. I want us to compare and juxtapose the man in the field with the merchant, right, that God calls all kinds of people, and we're going to see just ever so briefly the diversity of the citizens of the kingdom. And secondly, which I believe the thrust and the marrow of the text, the surpassing worth of the kingdom. So the diversity of the citizens of the kingdom, and then secondly, their surpassing worth. How precious is the kingdom of God? How precious is the king of the kingdom? So first, the diversity of the citizens of the kingdom. Let's think about how different and varied the citizens of the kingdom of God are in our own experience, in our own life, right, as we look at this parable. In the first parable, Jesus tells us about this man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. Now, just about everybody growing up imagined hunting for treasures. I don't know a little boy who didn't. And if you, you have a little boy who doesn't do so, then you need to get that boy outside. You need to put down the, the, the iPad, phone, whatever it is, cut the TV off, burn the stereo. I don't care. Do it all. Just get rid of it. Get that kid outside. Get his imagination functioning, working. Drawing a map with an X on it, because X marks the spot. And then go and find and search for that treasure. But as we mature, as so often is the case, just like with thunderstorms, right, we become too sophisticated to believe that anyone could actually find a treasure, right? Oh, that could never happen. Although, you know, I thought about it today as I was thinking and ruminating on the text. Perhaps people play the lottery for that purpose. Maybe they think, this is my ticket, right? This is what's going to make me happy. This will be the pearl of great price for me. But this evening, I want to share with you a story I read about this week about a man who found a treasure in a field. His name was uh, Peter Watling. He was an Englishman from Suffolk, 
on November 16th, 1992, after losing a hammer in a field he'd been working in, began to search high and low to recover his hammer, because he didn't want to go back to Lowe's again, right? You don't want to make more trips to Lowe's than necessary. But to no avail. Well, Mr. Watling decides to invite his friend over who has a metal detector, you know. So they come over and they begin to search for this hammer that's buried in the field. They begin to dig, right? And they begin to search, and all of a sudden the detector starts to buzz, right, with that piercing noise. I don't know if you've heard them. You see them at the beach sometime in the summer. You'll see people combing the beaches looking for engagement rings and all kinds of jewels and rubies and gems that people leave behind when they go to the beach. Well, they came across what appeared to be a silver spoon. This spoon was incredibly old, and they continued to dig, and they began to find other artifacts, gold jewelry and some ancient coins. Wondering if they had found something archaeologically significant, they notified the local authorities. I don't know if that was a wise thing to do, but, you know, right? I'm from the government. I'm here to help. So I don't know. Let's say, well, they did. That's what they did. So these authorities come out. They help them. They begin to unearth this incredible treasure. Lo and behold, they found a treasure trove of 5th century Roman artifacts in Britain there, in Suffolk, in England, worth over $5 million. Well, why was it buried? Who buried it? We don't know. And yet here it was. And let me just say this. They did find the hammer as well, right? They did find that. Well, in the first parable, we're told that a treasure had been buried in a field. Now, who put it there? Why'd they put it there? Well, we think we know why they put it there. But how long had it been there? These are questions we don't know the answers to. In the ancient world, banks were very uncommon. It was quite common if someone wanted to secure something, one would hide it. And no better place to hide it than to bury it, right? What I want us to notice is that the man who found the treasure is not the owner of the field, though. He didn't own the field. He's a hired hand. He's a farmhand. He's just doing what a farmhand should do, right? He's just working for the man who owns the field, right? He's not wealthy. Well, notice in the second parable, though, it's the merchant. It was anything but poor, right? He's probably wealthy, Right? He's probably a dealer in fine gems. He's a gemologist. I looked up what that was this today, or not today, but this week. They're fascinating as well. In the first century, pearls were all the rave. They were in high demand, and if you wanted a pearl, you'd either go to the Red Sea, you'd go to the, the Gulf, you would actually go to the Persian Gulf, rather, or either go to India. There wasn't a Schwarzschild anywhere in Bethlehem. I looked that up. There's only four of those, right? Midlow, two in Richmond, and one in Charlottesville. The reason I say that is because... Valentine's Day is coming up, and you guys got to be ready. I'm a full-service pastor here. I want you to be ready. Well, all kidding aside, right, in the second parable, we're told that a merchant, unlike the farmhand who just happened upon the treasure, what is he doing? He doesn't just happen upon it by chance. He's out there searching for it. He's looking for it. He's in diligent pursuit of it. Now, we're not told how long he's been searching, but after searching, he finds what his heart has been looking for all his life, the pearl of one great price. And like the first man who found the treasure, he goes and sells all he has to acquire it. Saints, two men. One man who is poor, a farmhand, who just by chance, quote-unquote, finds this treasure hidden in a field. A merchant, perhaps wealthy, who's been searching for his treasure his whole life and both find their treasure. 
The first man is busy working hard, working the land, when suddenly without intention discovers the greatest treasure in the world. His life will never be the same. He doesn't have a metal detector. He's not seeking nor looking for treasure. He's just doing what the landowner wants. The second man, the merchant, on the other hand, knows treasure. He's been dealing in the finer things of life his whole life. His whole vocational business career has been pursuing fine pearls. He knows what he's looking for. He knows it. He has an eye for it. Right? He can see a fine pearl and he goes, yes, he can look at it with a naked eye and determine its value. And he also finds the one thing he's been searching for. And again, it changes his life. Beloved, these two men show us something of the diversity within the kingdom of God, do they not? Some disciples of Jesus are materially poor. Others are materially rich. Some go looking for answers to the deep questions of life, philosophically. Right? I can remember as a young child lying in the grass, looking at the sky, listening to the voice of God speak in the heavens, not knowing God's name, but hearing his voice nonetheless as he began to work in that little heart of mine asking the deep philosophical questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there a God? What is his name? What is this like? Who is his son? Right? All of these things begin to ruminate in my heart, and God often works that way with some of us looking for him. Right? Others, blind to the value of true riches, though, not interested in eternal matters until the treasure finds it as, as, until treasure, as it were, finds them. Treasure comes calling, and God takes hold of them and calls them to himself. So the lesson for us here is this. While all who enter the kingdom of God must be born of the Spirit, no man can see, much less enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be translated out of the first Adam into the second Adam and given eyes to see him who is invisible. Right? No two saints are alike, but all must be born again. From the covenant child who blessedly never knows a day when they didn't love and want to follow Jesus, to the rebel who has been spiritually broken by God so that they can see and understand their need, and everyone in between, all those Christ calls are different, coming from all kinds of different backgrounds and walks of life. And the beauty of the grace of Jesus in saving sinners is something to behold in this diversity. Isn't it amazing? when we think about the diversity of the kingdom of God. Now, we're pretty monolithic and pretty homogenous here, but that's not the case. I think we cluster together with people of like social status and education and various other categories. But when you think about the church and the world and, and the very diversity within the world and the beauty of God and the diversity, just in the things that he makes in creation with creatures like little animals or whatever but then also you think about the very grace of God and the glorious diversity of God even within the citizens of the kingdom well secondly and we get to the main point here the surpassing worth of the kingdom having looked at the diversity of the kingdom let's look at the surpassing worth what is it worth to you what are Jesus and his kingdom worth to you beloved notice that both men after finding their prospective treasure right and the pearl sell all they have to buy the field and to buy the pearl. Can you imagine them going home that afternoon? The man who had found the treasure in the field, quickly covering it back up so he can go home, sell everything. And also the merchant 
that goes home and sells everything. Can you believe, can you imagine both of those men going to their respective homes? Yeah, honey, we're going to sell it all. <laughs> I've found the most precious thing in all of life, and I've got to have it. I'll sell that 67 Corvette that I want, that I'll probably never have this side of glory. I'll sell that diamond ring that has been in our family forever. I'll sell this house. I'll sell it all because I have to have this feel because this feel has this treasure and this treasure is so valuable. I can't live without it. I must have it. I must have it. Right? They shook their heads. What are you doing? Don't be so foolish. You need to be, you know, more rational measures are called for here. Right? Don't be hasty. But you see, beloved, both men had read Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was a man who understood the, the worth of the kingdom, who understood the worth of the king of the kingdom, who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, both men had eyes to see, and they willingly sold it all to have the kingdom and the king. You see, they had done the math. What would it profit them to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? They knew the answer to that question. They did the most reasonable thing a hell-bound sinner could do. Upon finding their heart's desire, they break out the Excel spreadsheet. And on one side, they put the total value of everything they own, the whole package. Here's what I own. Here's what this treasure and this pearl are worth. It's a no-brainer, right? The supreme worth of the treasure and the pearl far, far outweighs everything they own or ever hope to own. Both of these hell-bound sinners have heard the opportunity knock on their door. They were not going to let anything keep them from opening it. Yes, we have to open the door. We are regenerated to open the door. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 10 on effectual calling, if you doubt what I say. God does not repent for me. God does not believe for me. He regenerates my will and makes me willing and able to believe and to repent. And that's what he did with these two men. He opened the eyes of these two men so they would see the supreme, surpassing worth and value of the king and his kingdom as a treasure hidden as the pearl of great price. And they willingly sold all. Like David Livingston, I never made a sacrifice in my life for Jesus Christ. He went to Africa and turned it upside down for the glory of the Lamb. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, these men understood. They had priorities and they were right priorities. They weren't about to let anyone or anything in this world keep them from their heart's soul desire. Early on in the church, from Augustine to Turretin, Saints have identified this treasure and pearl with the Lord Jesus Christ, heaven's greatest treasure, its most precious jewel. Beloved, what are the Lord Jesus and his kingdom worth to you this evening? And I ask that question, and I hope it sits there for a little bit of time. 
Because you see, this is not something that just happens once. When you find the treasure on that first day and you find the pearl, you keep asking every day you wake up and you go, what is it worth to me today? Is it a greater love that can drive out all lesser loves? Like when Catherine came into my life, every other woman's name just somehow vanished. Had no more residency in my life. Just like when Jesus comes into the sinner's heart, all other saviors, all other pretenders, all other wants, all other cares, all other jewels, all the other diamonds of the world, they don't mean anything once you've tasted God and his goodness in Jesus Christ. He surpasses all other treasures, all other gems. Can you say with Paul, as you look back on all your earthly treasure and accomplishments, in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And that's just a polite word there. But in the Greek, It's not the word. It's more graphic. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Or can you say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, O Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire but you. My heart and my flesh, they fail, but Lord, you are my portion and my strength forever. Or to take it out of the abstract, right out of the, the theoretical world and bring it into the concrete world of brick and mortar. Do you remember the story of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet there in Bethany? Right? That beautiful picture where Jesus is reclining at the table of Mary and Martha. Right? And Martha gets up in the middle of the meal. Everybody's having a good time. She has this precious ointment worth an extreme amount of money. And she takes it. And she goes and she washes the feet of her Savior. She anoints the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary wipes his feet with her hair. And we're told that the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas, Judas, you see, like Esau, who sold his birthright because he valued it more than he valued his God, got upset. And said, why was this anointment not sold and the money given to the poor? Beloved, Mary knew and saw someone as more precious than any fragrant ointment that evening. She saw heaven's treasure and pearl. She saw Jesus as more precious. She saw him as supreme value. Beloved, have you, all saints, the Lord Jesus is worth all you have. Go. Be willing to sell all every day. Come Monday morning when you wake up before your feet hit the floor, your eyes open because of God's goodness to you and giving you another day. Lord Jesus, I count all loss that I might have you. I might know you. The power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, being conformed to your likeness that I may somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. You see. This is a cry of the child of God. 
the regenerate man, girl, boy. Jesus says, come without money, without cost. Come by and eat at the table of your Lord that your soul may live. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I leave you with this, one of my favorite uh, songs. It's a song that uh, Fernando Ortega uh, popularized, an old hymn. It's uh, called Gimme Jesus. Let me just read a, one little uh, chorus to you. It says, In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. When I am alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. The pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field. May God give us grace to count all loss that we might have him who loved us and gave himself for us, even our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. It's better than life. We thank you that... um, You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. That you've translated us out of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the God of this age. And you've translated us into the kingdom of the last Adam. The one who is the life-giving spirit who gives life to our mortal bodies even now. And one day will give us a new body and a new heavens and new earth. But until that day we press on in him who loved us and took hold of us. Lord, even as we continue to look Unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Be with us now as we come to the table, as we feed on Jesus Christ by faith, truly and spiritually. Strengthen us, Lord, to put to death the flesh and put on Jesus Christ, in whom our lives are now hidden. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.